Good morning. So thankful to be here with you guys and uh, open up God's word. As you just heard, yes, we are from San Diego, and uh, this is quite different than San Diego, California. Usually when it's like 62 or 60 degrees down there, we have our big jackets and beanies on and mittens. And um, so we have uh, been in Montana here for just a little bit over a year now, and we have gotten still, do you think, I don't think we have gotten used to the weather yet, but as Glenn said earlier, this has not been a bad January, so uh, I, I'm thankful for that. Um, if you have your Bibles this morning, which I hope you do, I want you to open them to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at just two verses, verses 3 and 4, and when you're there, I will just pray, ask the Lord to help us, and we'll get right into it. Father, it's my desire that you would glorify yourself and your son, Jesus Christ, through the preaching of your word. I pray, God, this morning that as we look into these two verses, that you would build up your people, Lord, that you would encourage us as we go through trials and tribulations and sufferings. Um, we th we're thankful that we can turn to promises and, and verses like this to be comforted um, when we are suffering. So I thank you for the help of your spirit. Come now and give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand what Paul is speaking to the Corinthians and to us this morning. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So 2 Corinthians, just real quick, uh, kind of give you a quick background uh, this is probably Paul's fourth letter. Some say he's written five, but um, it could be his fourth letter. And this is probably Paul's most personal letter that he has ever written. Matter of fact, in this whole, uh, this whole book of 2 Corinthians, Paul's bearing his heart. He's opening up his soul to this church. By the way, Paul loved the Corinthian church as he loved all of the churches. He loved them deeply and dearly. However, if there was one church that gave Paul fits, it would probably be the Corinthian church. They were constantly giving him troubles. And in, in our chapter here this morning, false teachers have come in. False teachers back then and today come into the church and began to discredit Paul. They began to slander him and tell the Corinthian people that Paul is not who he claims to be. And this, of course, is what false teachers have to do. They have to slander the truth so that people would begin to follow them and their false teaching. And the main thing that they're coming in and telling the Corinthians is look at this man's life. Just, just, just step back and look at him. And look how much he's suffering. He's not a real apostle. A real apostle doesn't suffer. God protects him. This guy's a phony. He's a fake. And the reason he's suffering is because God is punishing him for being a fake. And as they begin to spew 
their false teaching on these people, they begin to go, yeah, you're, you're probably right. Yeah, he, he does suffer a lot. And if you've read these two books, 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians, you've noticed right off the bat, and you have to notice this, that 2 Corinthians starts off very differently than 1 Corinthians or any other letter that Paul has written. Usually Paul uh, begins by um, thanking God for the Christians and the church, and he begins to pray for them and thanking him for all that they are doing. But we don't find that here in this letter. Paul opens up very differently, and he opens up with what we call a doxology. He opens up by praising and worshiping God. Why? Well, we will get to that. Paul, this morning, is going to show us that God is not disciplining him, but he's actually compassionate and comforting him in his very sufferings that he's experiencing because of these false teachers. He's being slandered. He's being accused. He's poured his life. He's poured his heart out to these people. And he's loved them. He's he's given everything for them. And these phonies come in and start slandering them, slandering Paul, and they begin to believe that. You ever been slandered before? You ever been accused of something that you've never done and people begin to believe that and they start looking at you differently? You notice the pain, the, the, the hurt that comes with that? Here's what Paul's experiencing. But he starts off in this letter with the doxology. So let's just read verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So quick, quick outline if you're taking notes. I'm just going to go over three quick things. Who God is in our trial, what God does in our trials, and why God does it. Okay? Who God is, what God does, and why God does it. So our first point, who God is in our trials Paul says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. And that he is, amen? Matter of fact, if it weren't for the mercies of the Lord, we would all be consumed. Who knows what God has done for you that you don't even know that you're alive to this day? God is merciful. The Greek word, or termos, right? It means basically compassion or pity. He's a God who has compassion and pity for his people. He's merciful. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 22 and 23. You might not want to forget this. The steadfast of the Lord never ceases. Never. It never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And great is your faithfulness. I wake up every morning not knowing what will happen to me today. And I go to the Father of mercies and I say, Lord, I have no idea what what I will encounter today, what I will face. But you do, and you know it perfectly. And you promised me every morning that I could have new mercies. 
and therefore I'm coming for it. Would you give me mercy? Would you give me grace to be able to encounter whatever you've called me to walk through today because I don't know? And he does it. There are days that I can't believe I get through, and it's not by my strength or it's not by your strength, amen? It's God being merciful to you, keeping you from certain things, directing your path in a different way, which might cause impatience, but you don't know what God is doing. He is merciful. Remember in Nehemiah chapter 9, where, where Nehemiah had, had talked about all that God had done from the Exodus for Israel and all the wonderful things, and yet they what? They constantly disobeyed. They constantly disobeyed and went their own way and didn't do what God said. In Nehemiah 9.17, Nehemiah declares, But you are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and you did not forsake them. That even when we are faithless, which we are, there's many times we go our own direction. There's many times that we're glory stealers and we want to receive all the glory and all the praise for ourselves. God, in His mercy, does not forsake you. Ever. Hebrews 13.5, right? I will never leave you nor forsake you. These are good promises to hold on to. Because in the midst of suffering, the midst of tribulation and pain and heartache, we've got to have these. I just experienced something that I thought uh, this past week that I never thought I would experience in my life. Home reading the Bible was a good day. I had a good day of study and of preparation. I get a phone call from a chaplain in Madison County Fire Department. Let me know that my youth pastor had been in a bad accident with his two boys and his nine-year-old son died. I didn't see that coming. Greek crying, shock, utter dismay, sitting there going, is this, is this real? Did this just really happen? And where do I turn to? 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, that Paul assures me that our God is a father, and he's a father of mercy. Psalm 103, verse 13. As a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Why? Why would he do that? Well, it goes on to say, for he knows our frame and he remembers that we are just dust. Aren't you glad that he just remembers who we really are? That we don't have it all together? That we fail constantly and we're just dust and he has compassion and mercy. Some of us may have not grown up with a father who was merciful and compassionate. I love my dad dearly. My dad's been in heaven for 11 years. Um, my dad was a Marine. So you can understand he was, he was pretty hard at times. Um, it's very difficult to cry in front of him because that, that, that didn't show strength that showed weakness and that was in me and I remember one day we were we were leaving church and and our second son and I decided we we're going to race to the car so we started running and he tripped and fell flat on his face and busted his lip up and his nose and he started bleeding he started crying what do I do 
get up. Finish your race. He didn't need that, did he? See, a lot of times when we fall and bust our lip and our nose starts bleeding, aren't you thankful that our God just doesn't say, get up, finish the race, deal with it, don't cry. He's not like that. He's a father that is full of mercy and compassion. I remember one day when I was probably 10 years old or something like that, we were out playing football on the, the lawn with a bunch of kids in the street, and we started playing football, and it started getting pretty aggressive, and me and this other kid went at it, and boy, he handed it to me. He lit me up, and man, I, I went home, and I was bawling. My face was sore, and I got punched so many times I couldn't even count. But I didn't go to my dad, because <laughs> my dad would have said what? Just go out and finish it, right? Go out and finish the fight. Quit your crying. Who did I go to? My mother. Oh, man. With her apron on. Come here. Come here. Come here. And what did she do? She embraced me. She took, took her apron, wiped my eyes, and here I am. You know, it's probably worse than it was. I was just probably embarrassed that I got beat up. But she was, she was just, she was comforting me. She was being merciful, and she's saying, it's going to be okay. And what Paul is saying to us here, that in our suffering... That in our trials and our tribulations, he's the father of mercies. But he's not just that. Paul goes on to say that he is the God of all comfort. He's the God of all comfort. The Greek word parakalesis right here, where we get the, the name for the Holy Spirit, right? Paraclete, one who comes alongside of us in time of need and helps us. Because he remembers that we are just dust. And if you look here in your Bibles from chapter 3 to, ver to uh, excuse me, verse 3 to verse 7, Paul mentions this word comfort ten times. This is a theme here. Ten times in four verses, Paul mentions this word comfort or comforted. Paul wants the Corinthians to know and he wants us to know that God is the only source of true comfort there is. There is no other comfort other than God. And when trials and sufferings come our way, some of us run to alcohol. Some of us run to drugs. Some of us run to sex or, or a boyfriend or girlfriend or money and go and buy things thinking that that's going to comfort us in our difficulties and trials. And if you haven't learned this yet, they lie. Alcohol doesn't comfort you. Maybe you've tried that before. It doesn't comfort you. What it does is it numbs you. It just numbs you and you fall asleep and then you wake back up and the suffering's still in the soul. And you try to drown it with more alcohol or drugs or whatever it might be. They don't comfort. The only source of true comfort is God. And Paul has personally experienced this. Glenn had mentioned uh, that I like to watch sports. Um, I spent nine years with the San Diego Padres baseball club. And I have known players in those nine years who have made so much money, it's beyond imagination. They have so much money, and I can't tell you that when suffering came their way, one was homeless, 
One actually lived under a bridge, blew all his money on, on, on alcohol and drugs, and, 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 and things come into their lives, and you would think that people who make you know, $12 million a year would be able to be happy. And it does, you know, it does provide a short-term happiness. But when suffering and pain and heartache and tribulation happens, money's not going to take care of it. It's just not. And I've seen it firsthand. God is the God, like Paul says right here, he's the father of mercies. And I want you to notice this. He says he's the God of all comfort, not just some, not just this or, or that or there or partially here. He says he's the God of all comfort. Going on to point two, what God does in our trials. What does he do? Well, look at verse four. Who comforts us in all our affliction. He's the Father of mercies, is the God of all comfort, and He comforts us in all our affliction. This word affliction, the Greek word flipless here, it means pressure. It's like when they take the grape to the vine or the, the grape to the, the, the presser and it just presses that grape and it squeezes out all the oil and the juices from it. it, it it's pressure. When the pressures of life and the difficulties, whether you're in ministry or whether you're just a human being, in this life, if you haven't known yet, and if you haven't, praise God, but it will happen. You will suffer. You will have tribulation. You will have trials. And some of these things are so deep and so big, it's beyond your strength. You can't do anything about this. And Paul had many afflictions, right? And you can go to 2 Corinthians 11, you can go to 2 Corinthians 4, and just kind of read all about this. His whole life in the ministry was a life of affliction. We shouldn't be surprised about that, because we read in Acts chapter 9, he says, no, this is a vessel of mine, and he must know how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And this is not to scare you, but if any of you are going into full-time ministry and pastoral ministry or whatever it might be, there's going to be a lot of suffering. There's going to be a lot of pain. Remember what Paul said in Acts chapter 20? Serving the Lord with many tears and many trials that came upon me with the plots of the Jews. Many tears and many trials. But he didn't shrink back from declaring the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm now bound to go to Jerusalem in the Spirit, and I don't know if I'm going to have any good meetings. I don't know if people are going to get saved, but I do know two things. One, imprisonment awaits me in every town I go to, and chains, tribulations, persecution. But what does he say in response to that? But I do not consider my life my own, so that I may finish my race with joy. When we go through suffering, God comforts us in all our affliction. All of them. How does he do that? Well, I just wrote down a couple here. Number one, he does that through other believers. Aren't you thankful that when you're going through a suffering, you're going through a trial, and you're crying, and you're hurting, and you're aching, that another brother or sister comes alongside of you, encourages you, and helps you? That's what the body of Christ is for. He uses other people. We are the body of Christ. We are his hugs. We are his voice. We, we, we are his encouragement. 
It's as if, if you're hurting, Jesus is going to use me and he's going to encourage you. He's using me now to encourage you, whatever you're going through right now, through his word. But God uses other believers. So therefore, don't push them away. Don't just say, I'm fine. I'm okay. Get up and finish your race. No, include them in your life. Pour your heart out to them, those who are close to you that you, can, that you can trust, and let them share in the burden. This is what we're doing right now with the family at our church. Help me. And we're coming alongside of them and helping them with their burden. Another way he comforts us is through the promise of his word. I don't know about you. I mean, I'm, I'm 54 years old. I've experienced a lot in my, my lifetime. Um, if it weren't for the promises of God, I don't know where I would be. I, I, I don't know. When suffering comes, we want to always run to God's promises and we stand on them, no matter what it is. We stand on the promises of God's word. That's what faith is, right? We can't see it. We can't feel it. We can't hear it. It's just here. And we believe it. And we stand on these promises. Though I'm hurting, though I'm aching, though I'm suffering, I don't understand it. I can't explain it. Your promises say this, therefore I trust in you. And what does that do? It brings great comfort. It brings great comfort. Psalm 119, 107. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, Lord, according to your word. I'm afflicted. I'm feeling this pressure. I've I've got pain in my heart. Give me life now according to what? Your word. Your word. Or Psalm 119, 71. It is good for me that I was afflicted, Lord. Why? Why would you say that? That I might learn your statutes. It was good for me that I was afflicted. That I might learn. And this word comfort here, it, 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 it means consolation. I mean, it, it has to do with like hugging, you know, like my mom did when I got my, my face beat up pretty good. And she comforted me. Um, you know, we do know that according to the Psalms that, that he holds our tears in, the, in a bottle. He doesn't let one of them fall to the ground. There is, there is a softness there. But this word has to do with more than a tenderness. What this word has to do with is a strengthening or an endurance. So when Paul is in his affliction, it's as if he's saying that God is coming alongside of him and he's given him strength to endure whatever trial he has to face. And you have to know this, church, that when you go into a trial or a tribulation, God is going to come alongside of you and he's going to give you endurance and strength to be able to withstand this trial. That's a promise from the word of God. Look at verse 8 real quick in 2 Corinthians. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. He's going to go on. We don't know what this was. Speculate, but we don't know what it was. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Let's just stop there for a second. Paul and his companions were in a situation that there was no escape out. There was no possible door or any way to get out of this situation. 
And because of that, he says that we despaired of life itself. In verse 9, indeed, we felt that we have received the sentence of death. So they had, they, they had looked at each other and said, hey, guys, this is it. We're done. We're dying right now. We're dying here today. There's no escape out. We cannot do anything about this. You ever been in a situation like that? Verse 9, indeed we felt that we have received the sentence of death. But watch this now. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. We were in such a situation that we despaired life itself. But that was to make us not rely on ourselves. But what? But to trust wholly in God who raises his dead. And he's going to have to resurrect us now. We, have, we, we can't do anything about this. And sometimes, according to God's providence and sovereignty... He'll allow you to go through a situation where you'll know there's no escape from this. We are such and under such pressure that we're despairing of our life. But you must remember, it's so that you will not rely on yourself. Oh, I can just fix this. I just, I just fix this, no problem. No. He might put you in a situation where you're not going to be able to fix anything, but the only thing you can do is rely upon God who raises the dead. And look what Paul says. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. And on him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. There it is. That's life. We don't know what, what's going to happen today or tomorrow. But when we find ourselves in that situation, he's not only the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, but he comforts us in our affliction. Do you remember what Paul said? He comes alongside and strengthens us, right? And you remember Philippians 4.13? I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me. So wherever I find myself, you might find yourself in sunshiny, smiley day, and that's great. Praise God. But you might find yourself and a nine-year-old dies in a car accident. And you just wondered, what just happened to my whole world? What just happened to my whole life right now? I'm completely blindsided, and, and th this is serious. Whatever situation you find yourself in, he will comfort you. He will come alongside of you, and he will give you strength and grace and endurance to be able to bear it until he says it's time to come out. Does that make sense? Which takes us to our last point, point three. Why does God do this? Why does he comfort us? Well, glad you asked. He comforts us so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Corinthians, you think God's disciplining me because I'm a phony He's comforting me. He's comforting me in my suffering. And the reason he's comforting me is for your joy. Because it's not going to be too much longer. You're going to go through the same suffering that I'm going through. 
And as you look at me and in my suffering and you see God comforting me, that's going to bring you great joy and strength when you suffer. That's it. Look at verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. And our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in the sufferings, you will also share in the comfort. Corinthians, God's not disciplining me. He's not being mean. He's not punishing me. He's actually doing the complete opposite. He's comforting me, and he's a father of mercies, and he's holding me close, and he's given me grace to endure the trial. And if you will now be able to see that, it's going to greatly encourage you because soon you will suffer for the gospel. You're going to suffer right alongside of me. John MacArthur said, Comfort from God is not an end in itself. Its purpose is that believers also might be comforters. End quote. So as people see us in difficult situations and in trials and in suffering, other people are looking at you. Any of you have children here this morning? Anybody else? Okay. Be, be aware of that. Your children are watching you. How do you handle this? Other believers, brothers and sisters, are looking at you. I'm a Christian. Okay, now you're in suffering. Are you still a Christian? They're, they're looking at you. And let me real quick uh, remind you of Philippians chapter 1, where Paul said why he was in prison, right? He says, I want you to know, verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Now watch this. And most of the brothers having been, being, become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment are much more bold to speak the word without fear. There it is. Listen. I'm not in prison because I'm a bad guy. I'm in prison because I'm preaching Christ. And they know that. And they see, they see Paul's trust in the Lord. Not one time does Paul in his, in his prison epistles ever say, Help! Get me out of here. I don't want to be here. I don't deserve to be here. This can't be God. He never says that one time. But as he's confidently... Trusting in the Lord, the brothers are watching him, and that gives them more boldness to go out and preach to Christ and suffer and go to prison if it means be. Because why? They see Paul suffering. He comforts us so that we may be able to comfort others. Which means this. You're suffering. If you are suffering, I make no light of it here this morning too. Pray for you. But if you're suffering here this morning, have you ever thought that maybe it might not just be about you? Have you ever thought of that? You know what? I'm going through a difficult time. Now, if God gives you a reason, great. But most of the time, I don't get any answer. Why am I going through this? Could it be that it might be just about somebody else who maybe needs to see you and see your trust and allow God to comfort you because they're going to suffer not too much further 
and they're going to remember looking at you and seeing how you responded. And you're going to be able to comfort them with the comfort that God has given you. I like to call these your, your BC days, right? Your before Christ days. All of us lived in the desires of our flesh, loved it. Maybe God has comforted some of you through drugs and alcohol. I don't know any of you here. Maybe he's comforted you through drugs and alcohol. Maybe you had a drug problem or an alcohol problem, and God's comforted you. Maybe God has comforted you through suicidal thoughts. Maybe God has comforted you through an abortion. And he's given you grace. He's been a father of mercies, and he's comforted you through that, that, that difficult time of pain. Maybe God's comforted you through a same-sex attraction or whatever it might be. You know what it is. I don't. But you know what God has comforted you with. So, for instance, let's just say that God has comforted you through drugs and alcohol. Do you know how many people need to be comforted today because they are addicted to alcohol and drugs and, can't, and have no hope at all? There's no way out for them. And here you are. God has comforted you through that. In other words, listen, if you are in Christ here this morning, don't be ashamed of your past. That is under the blood. That's been forgiven as far as the east is from the rest. And it will never be brought up again. You don't have to feel ashamed of what happened 20 years ago. It's covered. And what I take Paul here to say is, you know what? As God comforted you through that really dark, difficult time, I want you to take that comfort and I want you to go find somebody that needs the same comfort. Maybe you've had an abortion here and you've experienced that difficult pain God's, God's forgiven you. He's given you grace and he's given you mercy. Do you know how many women right now need that comfort? Are thinking suicidal thoughts of what they've done? Go find the people. Go find them. And don't be ashamed of your past. Use that. What God has comforted you in, use that for the glory of Christ's name and to save someone. Matter of fact, I'll just quickly share a testimony and we'll close. Um, I... As a little boy, I grew up and I had a really bad panic attacks and, and a fear problem. And this went on into my adult years to the point where I became an agoraphobic. I could not leave my house. They put me on all types of medications. They told me I had chemical balances and all this. It was just a very bad, dark time in my life. And I'm wondering, why, this, why is this happening? I lost a lot of precious stuff in my life during that time. It's difficult. It's even difficult to talk about today. But God has comforted me. And do you know how many people I am able to comfort who have fear problems and talk to them and say, oh, I know exactly what you're going through. I remember those panic attacks. I, I couldn't even go outside of my house. And it was always good to be able, like, like, for instance, when I went through my fear trouble, I was unable to talk to my dad because my dad didn't understand. Deal with it. What do you mean you're afraid to go outside? You've never heard of that. But it always felt so good to talk to somebody who was going through the same trouble that I was going through. And as they began to talk to me, they began to share hope. And what it did was it comforted me. So in your, wherever you find yourself this morning, suffering, tribulation, heartache, broken relationships, whatever, you must know that God is the Father of mercies. He's a Father who is compassionate. He is a God 
who comforts you and comes alongside of you and gives you strength to endure the trial. And he doesn't just comfort you in some situations. He comforts you in all situations. And he comforts you so that you will now go and comfort somebody else with that same comfort that you were comforted with. Make sense? Let's pray. Father, I I am so thankful for your word and the joy and the strength that it puts in our lives. Lord, I pray for this, this group here this morning, all the people in this room who may go, who may be going through right now a difficult situation. They might be suffering. There might be real pain and real heartache and and real guilt. Whatever it might be, Father, you know it perfectly. Lord, would you please demonstrate this in their lives this morning, right now? Would you reveal yourself as the Father of mercies, God of comfort? And you're a God that comes along and gives us grace and strength to be able to bear it even though we may not want it in our life now. It's good for us. It's good for us if it causes us to come closer to you, Christ. It's good for us. We have the promise that you're working all things according to to your will and for our good. And Lord, would you please help us? Maybe some of us here this morning are struggling from a, a, a choice they made years ago. Or maybe it might be recently. Maybe there's guilt Maybe there's confusion and they can't understand why they did it. And as you comfort them, would you please bring someone in their life that needs that same comfort? Would you, would you help them not to be ashamed of their past, but knowing that, that everything is under the blood of Christ and now they can freely go out and look for people to comfort them and help them and, of course, advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you for this time that we get to open your word. I pray that your your blessings will be upon Montana Bible College and all these students, that they would study hard and you'd give them grace, Lord, to be able to to endure the the long nights and the, the writing of the papers and the reading and remembering. I thank you for all the leaders here who have put forth their hand to the plow, continue to bless them and bless this school, all for the glory of your son's name. In his name we pray, amen.